And so I want to talk for a while about uh, practical leadership. Uh, sometimes we <clears throat> can get so involved in theory, and I have, I have been in, in places where they spoke of theoretical aspects of leadership, but I'd like to just get it back down to, if I could, uh, how do you do this? What's really important in it? How do you get started? And that's where I'm going to be tonight. I have a couple of scriptures in Genesis 24 and 27. <clears throat> and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Uh, God had sent, or Abraham had sent his servant out to find a, a bride for Isaac. I'll talk about it a little more in a, in, in a bit, but uh, he's, he's thankful that God led him to the proper place because, you see, there is no uh, GPS for the will of God. And then the second portion of this this evening, I want to use 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Requirement number one, moreover, top of the list. If you're going to be a steward, you must be found faithful. So I want to consider two aspects of, of leadership that run kind of on complementary tracks this evening. Uh, they're two facets of involvement, and let's first consider uh, someone doing an assigned task. If you're going to lead, you have to learn first to follow, to do what you are told. You don't start out as the general manager. You'll probably start out as the office boy. I held a job one time where I started out as the delivery boy and wound up as the bindery foreman. Um, it, I had to learn a few things. Uh, uh, one thing, you, if you're going to be working in a place, you at least need to know where the bathroom is. And uh, <clears throat> uh, people were, uh, we had a troublemaker on that job and, and uh, she accused me of trying to take over and I hadn't even learned where the bathrooms were yet. So I knew I had a problem going into that job. <laughs> Uh, so the servant of Abraham was charged with the almost impossible task of going beyond Canaan's borders and there finding a suitable bride for Isaac. Now, he may have had uh, some directions in, in, uh, as to which village that Abraham's kinfolks had lived in decades ago. But remember, we're talking about nomads here. They may or may not be in the same 
general area. Uh, Abraham used to live there too, but he's lived a lot of places since then. And uh, so he sent, and, and uh, the text of the story indicates that when he got to this area, he did not inquire first off, do Abraham's folks still live here? He just came to the well and began to pray, Lord, send me the right one. Uh, and he, he made an almost, uh, again, we're dealing with impossibilities here and almost impossible requirement that I'm going to ask these young ladies as they come to the well for something to drink. And the one that you've picked out, let her volunteer to water the camels. <clears throat> Camels can drink a lot. And uh, as the Lord answered his prayer, this emissary of the friend of God recognized a principle that's held, through, through held true through changing times, through changing customs, governments, technologies. God's still the same. If we will do what we can, what we are supposed to do, then God will work on the other side of the equation to make it all balance out as it should. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. But the first part of that is I had to do something. I had to do what I was supposed to, and then the Lord took over as I was going. When I do what little I can do, then God will do the rest. When I don't know which way to go from here, God opened the right door, brought the right person, or arranged the right situation before me. I've spent a huge portion of my life without the foggiest idea of what's next. People talk about where do you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now. I'm just trying to make it to Friday. God's got to help me. If we're not walking with God, we can not only feel, but we can be as helpless as the king of Israel was when he was faced with the leprosy of Naaman. You want me to heal his leprosy? You're just trying to start a war. He had no idea what to do. And as surely as all things are possible with God, Without God and his leadership and his guidance, we're faced with nothing but impossibilities. There's a flip side to that coin. All things are possible with God. Yeah, but without him, you're in trouble plenty. To know where to go, get going. To know what to do, do something. A moving vehicle is easier to steer than one that is sitting still. 
It responds to the steering by heading in the right direction, but you can steer a, a sitting vehicle, uh, and it's not going anywhere because it's not going anywhere. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter much which direction a parked gar, car is pointed. It's not going anywhere. It can be headed in the right direction, but it's not going in the, anywhere. Often people will hide behind phrases, I don't know what to do. We've got an entire instruction book of what to do. Do some of that. I can't do anything. All right, Moses. All right, Gideon. There's nothing to do. When I used to run into that with young people and children, I'd remind them that at their own homes, there's lawn to mow. There are weeds to pull. There are dishes to wash. There are floors to sweep. There are a myriad of other things that need doing. There's nothing to do. If you need a hand with it, there's one at the end of your arm. Looking farther afield, there could be a vacant lot in the neighborhood that needs cleaning up. Or maybe trash along the roadside could be clear. The trash could be cleared. You know that that was left by the pseudo-environmentalist whose zeal for cleanliness does not exceed or does not extend along the byways where their neighbors live. Often when I point out these opportunities, you know, they are disguised as work, but they're still opportunities. I'd find out that the real lack of ability or of something to do was not actually the problem. They didn't want to really dig in and do anything. Of course, I'm not talking about anybody here. It's just things. It's often been said that if you want a, something done, give it to a busy person. What real good does it do to give directions to someone who's not going anywhere? If you're not moving, if you're not seeking, if you're not traveling, I can give you all the directions in the world from here to San Francisco, but if you're going to stay in Newark, it's not going to, I'm wasting my time. I, I told you this was going to be about practical leadership. Only when Abraham's servant was on site, did it make sense to direct him, now listen to this, to direct him to pray for a result that God had already set in motion. 
Sometimes we think we, we pray and we caused it to happen. No, God's got it going and we just, he, he allowed us to be keyed in to make the right request of what he was already involved in. God already had a, a young lady picked out who would water the camels. And by the way, Rebecca had no idea that by volunteering to do the hard work of watering a stranger's camels that she was securing a place in the lineage of the Messiah and a part in an everlasting covenant. It wasn't just when Jesus is on the cross that the words were true, they know not what they do. That applies to most of us most of the time. We don't, know, we don't know what is going to work out, what is going to be useful. We just need to be doing what we know to do and following the direction of the Lord as we go. That's practical. How many times have we found that much help that's been available It's been there, really becomes available to us only when we commit ourselves. I was amazed many years ago when we started to build our new building in Bartlesville. There were, there were people that, that came with... with uh, time, there were people who came with equipment, there were people who came with money. Once we got started, but why should anybody volunteer a backhoe when I'm not even sure yet that I'm going to dig a foundation? Once well started, help tends to arrive. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I got started. And then God directed me. Now, this, the second aspect of leadership that I want to consider is, is, is faithfulness. In, in our text in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The specific reference is of faithfulness as stewards, conservators, or dispensers of the mysteries of God. Ooh, that sounds deep. Well, it's too deep for our practicality tonight. So rather than concentrating on the definitions and layers of meaning of, of these mysteries themselves, let's go to a simpler area. <clears throat> While in other times we might include the mechanics of preserving and sharing the gospel, I'd like to emphasize the underlying font of faithfulness. Being there. Ooh, that sounds complicated, doesn't it? Being there. <clears throat> Do you realize 
that two-thirds, more than two-thirds, of Gideon's original army found a reason not to be there to face the Midianites. And fewer than one in a hundred stayed for the victory. But those 300 who stayed and were there saw the victory come. Were they super special? Well, there was one thing special about them. They were there when everybody else was somewhere else. I look at our congregation tonight. We're not using near all these benches tonight. But you know what I see? People who are there. Tonight you be there. You be right there. <laughs> Statistically, if you if you did a statistical analysis of the children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea, and if you, when you got through, you would have a statistically rounded 100% of the mature delivered Israel. While they were physically present at Kadesh Barnea, they were not there for the conquest, the immediate conquest of Canaan. Just being present is not necessarily being there. Israel was present, but they weren't there. We've got to be there. There's not a slide for this one, but in, in uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 37, Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. You know where this one's going. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and who went not with them to the work. Paul was not ready to have confidence in Mark because there was a time when they needed him, when they were hoping to rely upon him, and he was not there. Many times, if we'll just be there, a crowd may be no more convinced than a single individual, but somehow a crowd makes a better impression or a greater impression than somebody who marches up alone and said, this I believe. But if a crowd marches up and said, this I believe, that's the reason they do these million-man marches and so on and try to get as many as they can uh, down in D.C. to try to influence people by the number of people who are there. We were in D.C. one time here a while back. We were, I don't remember when the uh, conference was in, in Richmond, but uh, 
we took an extra day or two, went to D.C., and we got caught in the middle of a demonstration. I look so much different from the rest of them. They were coming by and patting me on the back and saying, we're so glad you're here, standing in solidarity with us. I thought, I'm not in solidarity with, with this crowd. I was by the Lincoln Monument. They were making their protest. There was this guy who had blue hair that just right in the middle and it stood straight up. And I thought, if this is mainstream, I don't want to be mainstream. Young lady from a college newspaper caught me by the, uh, by the uh, Vietnam Wall and I was talking about how that one of my cousin's name, he's on that wall. And so she came over to interview me. Oh, here's somebody that lost somebody, someone in the Vietnam War. Huh? You know, this is a protester. She didn't put it in her story. I, I, I got information as to where it was going to be on the web, and I looked it up, and she, did, she didn't quote me once. She didn't even hint at anything I told her. But you know what? I was there. I was there for what I was there for, not what they were there for. And I was my own little storm in the middle of them. Wasn't a very big storm, but I'm not very big anyhow. And then in 2 Timothy 4 and 11, Paul wrote again, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Why? Because somewhere in there between Pamphylia and the writing of this letter, Mark had learned to be there. Be there. Many years into my ministry, it dawned on me that a large part of my <coughs> success, can I use that word, as a leader was not so much because of my great talent in that field. I haven't had any formal training, but a recurring reason I found was that when I was in the forefront, oftentimes it was because I was just there. When there was a vacancy in the sectional youth secretary's position, I was the young preacher who had made the effort to be there at the sectional conference. A year later, when circumstances at district conference caused many to... Uh, uh, of the brethren to desire change in the district youth secretary. One individual noted that they started the process by looking at who was available. The first ones into that pool to be considered were those who were there. And there I was. The journey to become a writer and editor for Word of Flame Publications began by being there as a writer for the district paper. I'd written an article. They sent the district paper into headquarters. The editor, the overall editor of Word of Flame saw an article I'd written and, and asked, asked me to start writing for Word of Flame. Before I knew it, I was an editor. Then after I got through with the editor, they put me as a, as a writer on the, the uh, 
uh, adult level, and I spent close to 30 years writing for Word of Flame, our Sunday school literature. And then, because I had been a, an editor and a writer for Word of Flame, they came and asked me to be editor of the district paper. I was there. There are similar, and, uh, there are similar stories about being sectional home missions director, district home missions director. You see, it wasn't any special talent, wasn't any training. I was elected that first office when I was 24 years old. You haven't had time to get much training by then. Not in, not in things that are important to leadership. I guess I got mostly on-the-job training. Wasn't special talent, special training. It was a big, heaping serving of there, just being there. There's no way that I could hope to promise that anyone else would have the same results from stirring a large portion of there into their walk with God. But I knew, do know that God chooses busy people. So do men. God chooses those who are available. So do men. A major portion of the pool of those who are used in any enterprise is always composed of those who are there. In the early 1970s, Brother Larry Booker came into the church in Bartlesville. He and three of his friends rented a garage apartment a few houses north of the church. They all needed jobs. I went down there one day and I, I sat with Larry in the front yard as he tried unsuccessfully to tune a 12-string guitar that had an undetected crack in the neck. So about the time he'd get it tuned, it'd give a little more and... It was out of tune. I pointed out to him that as a 19-year-old transplant from Pueblo, Colorado, there was no employer in town who was going to come banging on his door asking him to go to work for him. If Larry was going to avoid starving or falling back into his hippie ways, he needed to leave his apartment, make himself known to the employers as a potential employee, and I advised him to spend as much time looking for a job as he would spend working a job for a boss. I told him, get out of here and be knocking on doors at 8 o'clock in the morning and don't quit until 5. Uh, <clears throat> Later I realized I'd advised him to be there to those who needed workers. He got a job. In fact, he got several jobs, each one better than the last. I once preached a revival for a bivocational pastor who as I accompanied him on his work route complained to me that he was a capable and gifted leader but the brethren did not seem to be able to realize that. And he was, he was, he was a capable man. But 
he was not voted into any office. He wasn't called for special committees or work groups to, uh, to wrestle with policy or problems. He was even a longtime friend of some of the district officials. But he was also a very frustrated man who could not seem to get his foot in the door. And I, I really, I couldn't contradict anything he said because he had a clear perception of what the situation was. But I watched. And over the next few years, I observed that oftentimes he was not there. He missed conferences. Work days came and went without him, not always, but often enough that he was not put solidly in the faithful column. Camp meetings, which were a very, very important part of the fellowship in Oklahoma, passed some years without him even making a single token appearance. He was just not there. He was not there enough for his face and his name to easily and automatically come to people's mind when they were looking for someone to do something. Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, was on site. He was there. Now, every district and every church are different. An emphasis on events and ministries varies widely from place to place. Whereas what is crucial in one place is hardly noticed in another. But everywhere there's something that's important when they come to looking at what people are doing and which ones we want to be in leadership. They're the ones that for that important something, they are there. That something is key to being used and useful. For something, you need to be there. You need to be faithful. In Ezekiel 22 and 30, it said, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Have I got my hedge up there? There we go. <clears throat> you see, to fill in a gap in the hedge, <laughs> if you thought you might just start out as a stopgap replacement, The job description didn't call for talent, didn't call for skill, just called for somebody that could stand there in the empty place. Didn't call for a lot of personality or education, wealth, or necessarily strength. Just needed somebody, we've got a hole in what we're doing and we need somebody to be there, to be there. 
The job required someone faithful, someone who could be counted on to just stand. And when they came back, to be there. Well, this is too small a job. I'm just standing here in, a, in an empty space. Well, it's not empty because you're there. It's only empty if you're not there. Could we stand? And let's thank God for an opportunity to be there. Thank you.